0: There we go. Hello, and welcome to Pop Up Submissions Live. It's very, very live today, and it's a sizzling show. Our theme is romance of all sizes, shapes, and colors, with two absolutely impossibly talented special guests, one preternaturally talented genius room, and nothing that stands in the way of this being one of our best shows ever. our book is shorting at the number one position all over the globe welcome back hammer robinson and here we are stepping literally at the very last minute the sea sand still in between her toes yes it's our fabulous kate kate salisbury well I think you know what to do. We're going to see uh, five submissions today. You are going to give your honest first reactions without prejudice or favor. And in about 60 minutes time, we're going to have a show winner. And before we start, I think I think we need to celebrate, don't we? Yes, we need to celebrate. I'll tell you what's, what's going on. What is going on? I'll tell you. Look, this is what's going on for the fabulous Emma Robinson. Have a, have a look at that. Look, learn, study, and just let, let the saliva drool everywhere. Number one in literary fiction, Emma. Number one in women's fiction, Amber. Number one in literary fiction again, this time for physical books. And of course, we know previously um, you were charting a new essay today. How do you feel? Well, i not finding out how Emma feel. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> wait. Wait. I, we we all want to know how you feel, but we're not going to find out until something happens to the audio. So here we go. There we go. Emma, yeah. let's, let's do it again. Me. How do okay. you feel?
1: Very, very... For the third time, I'm very, very excited. But, yeah, that is fabulous. It's. I think... You know, I've got nearer and nearer, as you say, number four in America, um, number eight in the UK. But this is yeah. my first ever overall number one, so it Doesn't did that feel. Brilliant. Yeah, I mean, I did go to Morrison's with a with an orange bestseller badge on my jumper, just in case <laughs> anyone <you> wanted to <laughs> stop me. <it. laughs>
0: and uh, I guess it's too much to ask. Did they? Did anyone stop yeah. you? <laughs> no, no, oh, no. They did. I did get a few
1: strange looks, but I live I live in Essex, so you know, it's all. But yeah. they're used to weird people here so it's fine well but you no, said that it was- i
0: didn't but that, isn't that fantastic <laughs> we, we, we're going to find out more in a minute but i just thought you know it's Thanks. worth celebrating yeah. three number ones how brilliant and of course this is what we're here for that's for five submissions today this is from john john clare There's a QR code there, so you can go to John's website. And the genre is Love Affair Gone Wrong. Hmm. And it's called What's Happened to Me? Let me read you John's blurb. Caroline has been rumbled. Her parents had great things planned for their daughter. Her future wasn't supposed to be ruined by a relationship with a penniless boy with no prospects. School's over. But instead of being able to look forward to weeks of fun with her lover, she's been hijacked by mother and taken to South Africa. How will she cope so far from her friends? And how is she going to get back to her old life and her special love? Let me tell you about John. Done pretty well everything, says John. Uh, From teacher to lawyer to road sweeper and bum. That's, that's a great writer's experience, actually. Travelled to over 90 countries. I didn't know there were, actually. Uh, and lived and worked in 30. Half a dozen previously published books, mainly non-fiction, published by university presses and Adson Wesley, copious magazine articles and blogs. Currently writing novels and travel books. Previous publishers, not very good at publicity. A common complaint. So I tried Amazon, but... I'm not good at publicity either. Oops. Over 50 books written, and one saga running to 17 volumes and a series on Spain where I've lived for some time. All right. Well, let's see if we can add to those uh, remarkable bads, uh, badges of courage with this stirring reading from Hannah. What's
2: happened to me? by John Clare. Read by Hannah. Caroline is looking out of the window. It is high in an apartment block on the outskirts of Johannesburg. Caroline is in a bad mood and so is her mother. This can't go on much longer. One of them is going to crack. Caroline is adamant that she won't crack first. In fact. She is going to make things worse and worse as the days go on until her mother can't stand the situation any more. The idea is that when that occurs, mother will have to return to England and she can't very well leave her daughter behind in an apartment block with no money and no friends. Her mother came into her bedroom. I'm going out this evening. There's a meal ready for you in the kitchen. You should have everything you need. Oh good, what time will you be back? Probably sometime between 11 and midnight. Great, that's plenty of time. Mother looked puzzled. Plenty of time for what? For me to get packed and walk out. What? You can't just walk out. Why not? We haven't got any money. I don't need money. Of course you need money. You're joking. Haven't you noticed something? Mother looked alarmed. What? Oh, for God's sake, you aren't... Mummy, you really are incredibly stupid. Haven't you noticed that I'm rather attractive? I don't have to walk more than a couple of blocks before someone will offer me rather a lot of money and more than just a bed. You don't have to worry about me. I shall be just fine. A couple of weeks, and I shall have enough money to buy a ticket back home. I don't know why I didn't think about it before. You, you! Her mother's face was contorted. Her voice went up several octaves, and she started screaming. You are, aren't you? You are nothing but a common prostitute, you dirty little slut! How dare you talk like that! Have you no respect for yourself, your own body? You'd really sell it to any, any filthy peasant in the street? How low can you sink? That's it. You are nothing but a dirty little slut of a tart. Caroline thought of responding, but then decided to walk into the next room. Her mother followed, still screaming abuse. Finally, Caroline turned around. She waited until her mother ran out of words and stuttered into silence. I am none of those things. I am Caroline. I am a girl who has just left school and has been dragged away from her friends and everything she knows and loves. And you have tried to destroy me. You are no mother of mine. Now go to your precious party and leave me alone. You don't have to worry. I'll be gone by the time you get back and you won't have to worry about me any more. And you won't have to shout and scream abuse at me anymore. She turned and walked back to her bedroom. Her mother followed. I am not going to leave you to start a life of whoring, you little bitch. Caroline spun round. Then give me some money. What? She can go out and, and drop your knickers for the first thing you meet? No, so I don't have to do that. And how do I know you won't? Caroline walked right up to her mother, and looked her straight in the eyes, her own blazing with anger. You have to ask me that? You, my own mother? What are you? Where have you been all these years? Do you honestly think I am a whore? Do you honestly think I would take my clothes off for these, these disgusting people you keep pushing up against me? Do you know so little about your daughter? You ought to be ashamed of yourself. The names you call me, I'm Caroline. Look at me. I'm Caroline, your daughter, not some slut from off the street. Look at me. Don't you know who I am? The two of them stood glaring at each other. There was a moment's silence.
0: Mm. All right, so um, thank you, Hannah, for getting us off to a splendid start today. Uh, just slightly disappointing, there was no cackling. Excellent cackling last week, but you know you can't you can't have everything can you let 's see what the genius room made to john 's submission vagabond um, says bit whiny um, also says wouldn't give this to y a on the strength of this and RK uh, okay, as Rachel says bit melodramatic or was that just me no I, I was picking that up too I thought it was a bit declamatory actually um, and the heavy breathing is coming from Emma. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> it's all right. I, I actually quite like it, actually. I mean, cackling for heavy breathing It's fine. But, you know, bit ASMR, isn't it? Um, Mal says this level of drama feels far too strong for an opening, needs to, to build to be credible. Pamela Joe, mother and daughter arguments can be melodramatic. Indeed, they can, but not quite this stilted. Um, and then a Vagabond says men writing women. Ah, uh, sigh. Yeah, and Stacey is struggling to determine any other reason for so much argument. Johnny says, not for me, too intense. Hmm, right, who should we ask first? Do you think, I think we should say, say Emma. What did it do for you, Emma?
1: Okay, so I wasn't sure whether this was, um, what age range this was being aimed at. Um, I would say let's start start with some goods first I like the fact you came straight in with the argument between mother and daughter that's great because I think that kind of gets us to the heart of the conflict quite quickly so that's good Um, but I didn't I found the dialogue I don't know there's many mothers that would talk to their daughter like that unless it was quite an abusive relationship I don't I don't... I found that quite uncomfortable, I have to say. Um, the Did it feel the, the word whore and slut. I yeah. just think whore and slut is not a word that most mothers would use towards their daughters unless it was an absolutely exceptional circumstance. So um, I found that a bit problematic. Hmm. Um, I also found, I think someone else said in the genius room, the protagonist herself comes across as quite unpleasant. So... That's tricky in a rom-com, because if you're writing a, a rom-com, we all have to love the protagonist. We need to be on her side. She needs to be us. We yeah. need to be with her for the journey. So the fact that she comes across unpleasant at the beginning is a bit tricky. Yeah. Um, Pamela said in the Genius Room that this reads like a first draft, and I have to say I think I would agree. Mm. So I think you've got some potential there in terms of starting with the argument, but I think you need – I don't know if you have many – people in your life of this kind of age you need to go and listen to some conversations that that the way that young people speak the way they speak to their mother Mm. and so on maybe look at that or look at some other ya novels with that kind of dialogue in and argue there's plenty with arguments between parents and children maybe have a look at those yeah Um, and also things like typos so there were no apostrophes so that kind of thing if you're going to submit could really put somebody off Um, and that's something that's quite easily fixed so yeah i think There are some potential there, but I think it, it does feel to me as if this is just an, a beginning draft. Yeah, rather than an fair end
0: enough, draft. fair enough. And we got your numbers in. Thank you very much. You quite like the title.
1: I did, I did like the title. I like the title. Yeah. I like a question title for a rom-com. Yeah. I think yeah. that's nice. And I think the blurb... Um, unless I missed it I wasn't sure whether you'd actually said this was YA did I miss this is no, it YA no, no, no the
0: genre is it's not really um, a, a very no, well known genre it's love affair gone wrong genre
1: okay well the but, thing I
0: mean...
1: is saying that she's just left school makes it straight away a YA I don't think you're going to you will have adult readers who read YA because we, yeah. we like that but they should still be pitched I would believe at, at young adults in which case this would yeah. be more of a young adult I think
0: yeah yeah fair enough Thank you, splendid star there, Emma. Kate.
3: Um, Yes, I agree with everything that Emma said. Um, I think we need more subtlety in the dialogue, and yes, it didn't feel authentic to me either, so I agree with all the advice that Emma gave there. Hmm. Also, I felt that with the whole business of um, this being set in South Africa and Johannesburg, felt like we needed to get more of a sense of setting. Um, I mean, a starting um, picture of, you know, the city that she can see perhaps from the window, and then this sense of of feeling really dislocated from home could have given us an in into the character, which we didn't have with the dialogue, which, although I do like dialogue and I agree with Emma that starting with dialogue is often quite useful thing to do. We we, we kind of needed to get inside the main character, really, at this point, Um, so I think that that would have helped. Um, I haven't got an awful lot more to add, except I think this kind of age group of readers and readers of this type of narrative do have quite high standards, actually. Mm. a lot of them and if you particularly now with book talk and everything and and the the word of mouth recommendation that comes with that i would say you know read some holly bourne um read jandy nelson read you know some of the tiktok books that they really love at the moment and you will see some really really top-notch writing
0: yeah Can, so I you, can I mean, just ask you You
3: can't beat it for characterization, for example
0: There's a huge lag going I on here, just guys
3: Get a sense of how it works
0: Can I just ask both of you, please um, theres you, You're making an assumption here that it that is YA um, Why are you saying that?
1: Uh, for me, because she the bird says <laughs> yeah. She just left school Yeah. And right. you, and the,
0: Fair yeah. Enough. yeah. Yeah, got it, okay Right. Thank you very much. I think the numbers are in. Let's keep our fingers crossed and see what John has got. You got a 50. Absolute level 50. I, that's not bad. I think that's a pretty decent start to the show. Plus, you've got the ineffable benefit of all the uh, wisdom and not a little wit in the genius room too. So lots and lots of good advice there. Hopefully you're, you're pleased with that, John. We move on to submission number two. <clears throat> And submission number two is A Tale of Three Sisters. It's historical romance in the 1950s. (gasps) Those are the days. Yeah, Eileen Joyce Donovan, QR code there from Eileen. And this is Eileen's blurb. When Helen and Charlie fall in love, they never dreamed there would be any objection to their marriage, much less one from an ancient rivalry. Oh, blimey and Juliet, eh? Carolyn, the most beautiful of the sisters. Lots of Carolines around today. Has never had a problem getting men to fall for her. But this time, she may may have walked into the lion's den with no way out. And Peggy's dreams of seeing M.D. after her name may come to a screeching halt after her attraction to an older man. <laughs> oh, I think Vegas do like older men, and I'm quite quite grateful for that, to be honest, actually. Uh, oh, a bit of an in-joke there. Uh, let me tell you about Eileen. Uh, my traditionally published debut historical novel won the 2019 Marie M. Irvin Award for Literary Excellence. That sounds most impressive. My historical fiction, A Lady Newspaperman's Dilemma, presently with Woodhall Press and scheduled for a September 2022 release, won the 2021 When Words Count Nationwide competition. Congratulations again. I've also had short stories published in various anthologies. And to this, uh, <laughs> to this eminent list of achievements there, featuring. Um, uh, a protagonist called Peggy, I think it's only appropriate that there's a reading by somebody called Peggy.
4: A Tale of Three Sisters by Eileen. Read by Peggy. Spring, New York City, 1955. Helen led her small group of children into the playground. She nodded to the mothers and nannies who sat on nearby benches, then sank onto an empty one to watch her group of four- to six-year-olds play. Maybe someday I can bring my own children to Central Park, if I can ever find a decent guy to marry. So far it seems the only men I meet are total jerks, or mommies, boys, or cocky wannabe gangsters, Where are all the decent men in this city? The group Helen supervised loved coming to the Central Park's playground nearest their residence at the Foundling Hospital's orphanage. And Helen savored her few minutes of peace and tranquility in this oasis of calm nestled in the midst of soaring skyscrapers and the congested, noisy streets of New York City but a child's scream ripped those moments apart and replaced all her musings about her dream man. A dagger of fear sliced through her. On her feet in a second, she scanned the area and did a quick head count. She reached eleven and realized one was missing. She ran to the nearest child. Where's Jimmy? She asked, her voice quivering, her heart racing. The little girl shrugged and shouted. Jimmy, Jimmy, where are you? The children stopped playing and then looked around. Soon they echoed her call, and the peaceful surroundings turned chaotic. Birds squawked and flew out of the trees. Squirrels chittered and ran for cover. Mothers and nannies grabbed their children and headed for safety. A little boy tugged on Helen's skirt. Miss Helen, I think I saw him go over there he pointed to a clump of bushes that lined the 67th Street bike and footpath. Oh, dear God, no, she muttered, making a quick sign of the cross on her chest. Grab hands, everyone, and follow me. On shaky legs, she stumbled out of the playground. The children, used to obeying her orders, lined up and hurried after her. She stopped at the road that cut through the park. A small crowd had already gathered there, Women who just moments ago watched their children enjoy this unseasonably warm, sunny day in May now huddled around a tiny figure lying on the ground. When Helen approached, they parted. Some cast disapproving looks her way, others (slap) and whispered about the irresponsible attitude some young people had about their jobs, particularly when it came to the care of children. Very few looked at her in sympathy. Helen shoved past them and dropped to her knees, alongside the little boy, her circle skirt fanning out around her, and pushed away a man who was crouching there. The rough concrete dug into her knees the minute she hit the pavement. Jimmy lay in the roadway. He clutched his left arm and moaned. Tears streamed down his chubby cheeks. A bicycle lay on the ground near him, the wheels still spinning. Helen's head swam, terrified that Jimmy was seriously hurt. Her breakfast clawed its way up from her stomach, and she swallowed hard to keep it down. Jimmy, what happened? Are you hurt? It's my arm, Miss Helen, he said between sobs. I think it's broken, like Sarah's was. It hurts a lot. Can you sit up, sweetheart? I don't know. Let's try. Helen put her arm around his shoulders, coaxed him into a sitting position, and pulled a tissue from her pocket to wipe his tears. Anything else hurt? Between sniffles, Jimmy said, I don't think so. Let's get you back to the foundling and have a doctor examine you. Can you stand? I think so, Jimmy struggled to his feet and swayed like a toddler trying out his legs for the first time. When Helen stood, the... "'Trees wavered and spun around in circles before her eyes. "'Oh, no, this isn't good. "'Come over here and sit on the bench for a minute "'until you feel steadier. "'And I do, too.' "'The other children gathered around, the two of them. "'They stared at Jimmy, mouths hung open. "'No one spoke. "'All right, everyone,' a man said, herding the onlookers away from the scene. "'Show's over. No need to stand here gawking.' All right,
0: there we go. I think pretty uh, strong reactions there, actually, from the generous room. Let's go straight to them. I'm um, taking it from um, uh, Chantal, who's telling me to keep it together. I'm trying. <laughs> Believe me, I am really trying. Um, gets right to the action, says James. Not sure where it goes. Uh, Catherine says, I hate missing children. I just hate stories about that. I panic even if it's a story. Um, very competent writing. Great opening, says Martin. Um... Just going back a little bit here, Chantal says, gorgeous writing, uh, Eileen. I know you're, you're with us, I think, on YouTube. Um, Love the title, says uh, Rachel Okay, um, Very competent writing, Johnny. Um, Eva, sounds quite 90-50s as far as finding a fellow to marry. I guess it does, but I want to tell the people who said um, they're not really picking up the period vibe, but maybe apart from that... Um, Martin then, as, as we sort of go through I've just sort of gone back to the beginning and I'm going through um, Martin observes the pace slackens a little bit Stacey again loves the writing um, Love the reading, not sure if it's the writing, says mad. <laughs> that is the case sometimes with some of our narrators actually um, Then Chantal Keeps on saying, great writing, but I wish a bit more was happening. It kind of picks up that theme of the pace, slacking off a little bit. Um, Pamela Joe says, I do get did get lost here. Needs a bit more electricity for me and a smoother transition from, um, who am I, where's my dream boat to lost kid? Oh, um, and okay, so this is fab. But I just like more of a sense of the 50s too. Definitely a disconnect between the title, blurb and story, says Mel. Um, And yeah, uh, lastly, Pamela. I think invert the scenes. Here's a suggestion. The kid disappears in the aftermath. She then thinks about future marriage and family. And maybe will I even be a good mama? (laughs) Maybe. I don't know what to make. I don't know. But I do know that Kate's got an opinion.
3: All right, go sorry i've muted my microphone oh, okay um, yes i thought that was really good really good very competent pose in surprise. in fact um I, I thought that was uh so gripping that i haven't actually made any notes because i was oh, completely fall. caught up
0: <laughs> <off> and storing <laughs> that's, that's enough that's what it's supposed to on. be that, it's supposed to be like that isn't it actually it's, just supposed to go exactly, wow exactly. yeah
3: <laughs> and I thought there were quite a few little nineteen fifty details coming through. It was just about whether you noticed them in the course of the action. Because there, I mean, a few people said, oh, there wasn't enough going on. And I was like, well, what do you want? You have just said the boy disappear. He's just broken his arm. You've had her sort of terrified that one of her charges has gone. I mean, I, you know, I was quite, my heart was beating up and thinking, good. where's he gone? What's happened? You know? Yes. Um, so I, I think it was a good way of making you know, a a, a relatively small domestic drama, actually, you know, really quite visceral, quite certainly pulled me in. Um, And we had things like the circle skirt, the foundling's hospital. There were lots of little details dropped through my thoughts. So I didn't have a problem with, you know, 1950s. The thing is, as you read on, you'll get more of a sense of that. And you're only going to get a certain amount without being incredibly unsubtle in the first 700 words. You yeah. know, so I think yeah. that's often quite a lot. Honest, you know? yeah. um, so I, I haven't got much criticism for that at all, really. Because no, I can I thought, see well, that. You start where the stories start, but yeah. immediately something was going on. And, and, yeah. and there were cookies, you know, uh, emotional hooks that, yeah. that pulled me in. It actually reminded me a little bit of some of Emma's books, actually, because mm-hmm. Emma's very good at making you know yeah. emotional dramas, which are relatively small scale in the general scheme of things, but really pull you in, because you get a real sense of the the character's kind of terror at at what might be about to happen, and then, you know, the reactions of the crowds and all that. I I thought it was great. Um, I think my only quibble was the title. I think the title felt a bit Dickensian to me,
0: so it's been changed, it's could. been changed Eileen yeah. is on YouTube, she was on YouTube earlier and she oh, did God tell then,
5: what, what Yeah, that? here we
0: go, come on Campbell Eileen uh, the, the title's been changed to The Campbell, Campbell Sisters, I- it will be released on March the 7th from DX Varos Publishing There we go
3: there we Sorry. go well yes it, it felt like it was re- it's ready to go that just reading it I mean it's just the right sort of you know not too worthy very easy to read but at the same time it's very evocative so um yeah I thought there was a lot lot of good stuff going on the blurb I thought it was very competent as well so um Cool. I've thumbs up for that, really.
0: Fantastic. And he's got a Peggy in too. That's, uh, that's one for me. However, I don't know how um, Emma's going to feel about that. She might feel she's got competition here, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes. I mean, too much I just been com- the, 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 the new Emma Robinson. How do you oh, feel about
1: that? I'm very flattered by the comparison. Oh, right. Very okay. flattered. <laughs> Um, I, I agree with everything kate said i really I really enjoyed it i was I, I was sort of just sitting back it you know, obviously helped Peggy's beautiful voice um, but um yeah, I really enjoyed it I, and and I picked out some of the same details as Kate so. I put like the her circle skirt fanning around her. I thought that was lovely, a lovely mm. gentle image um so i yeah I was in there from the from the beginning. I like the blurb. I like the fact that each sister has got a real clear dilemma, so that's a real good hook, I think to begin with, it's all about the hook. Um, I thought it was very poignant, um, and I liked sort of the Foundling Hospital. I just had a question, just generally, probably Hmm. um, everyone could answer that. I know what a Foundling Hospital is, but I just wondered how... General that was as as a piece of knowledge, in, yeah. co- in in terms of would it be good just to add a line that says you know those poor those poor abandoned children or something you know something because that, that obviously deepens the emotion and you don't want that to be missed by people because they don't yeah. know what a foundling hospital.
0: I was is. So wondering about that. Thing. I was wondering about that, and I I actually I do know what a foundling hospital is because I've been round one here in in London, um, yeah. or not or not existing, Fields exactly Coram Fields, and I i was amazed that that would appear in a 1950s piece of um literature because i i haven't they been done away with by the 1950s or maybe not
1: i don't know that i don't know my history isn't good enough for that Mm. but i think yeah just a little something in case people didn't know what that was but that's a tiny thing so i think the only other thing i would say is i thought the poignancy was there the emotion was there i was connecting with her i liked her i wanted her to follow her so that was all good i thought maybe just a little bit more urgency i think a couple of people. People in the genius Mm. room said it's the pace slacked off, and I think she did beautifully at the beginning with the thoughts directly from her head. Maybe we could have had a bit more of that at those poignant Mm. moments. So when when she was saying, "Oh, where is he?" didn't it it could almost be, "Where is he?" I'm you know I I didn't write it down sadly, but there's Mm. a there's a part in the middle where it might have benefited just from some really sort of short, snappy sentences or some inner dialogue just to keep that fear because I thought it, it felt a little bit that she was saying she was scared but she wasn't showing that maybe yeah. But yeah. again because it's beautiful i'm picking out on really tiny things now because it it was really really lovely but um yeah i really enjoyed it
0: Oh, good. Uh, live from YouTube, Eileen's. Uh, I revised after I submitted to include that fact. Good. Well done. Uh, that they were orphans. The foundling is still in operation here in New York City. Wow. wow. Oh, indeed. Yes. Oh, good old Victorian values never really left us, have they? My <laughs> word. Let's have a look at the, uh, the numbers. Oh, well, that's all right. I think you should feel very, very pleased with that, actually. I'm going to write that down because that's potentially, Eileen, a winning score. We have three more submissions, of course. Before we do that, though, I think we just have to go back and look a little bit more. Number one bestseller, doesn't that feel good there? Number one. It does, it yeah, does. yeah. And so that's for my husband's daughter, but that mm-hmm. precedes only for my daughter. And uh, has that just been published?
6: Yes, yeah, so
1: that one's just out, I think, about two months, a month. I'm not sure. I'm not good on dates. Okay. But, yeah, that one hasn't been out quite so long. Um, and it's a little bit different. It's a little bit more twisty. So yeah. um, hitherto, most of my books have involved quite young children, as yeah. uh, mothers of young children. And this one's the mothers of teenagers. Um, and it involves a knife crime. So it's got a little, mm. bit, little bit edgy, a little bit darker. A little edgy. Um, yeah, so I was a little bit nervous that some of my readers – might not like the slight yes. departure but it's gone down really well so i'm very i'm very good. pleased I
0: think- th- do, is it good enough for for it to be the pop-up submissions book of the week do you think
1: oh i think so
0: you do you think so <laughs> let's wait and see if it is And a leading question wasn't it yes it is <laughs> oh, it is oh my goodness so <laughs> <laughs> i'm
1: loving the sparkles yeah aren't
0: they sparkly sparkles um <laughs> so that's the deal you type into your browser book and you'll go straight through the to the buy page oh, no I faffing like around no buttons to click you just go straight through and you're going to buy it with one click and that's what we think is oh. our book of the week
1: thank you so much
0: And this is submission number three of the week. Bound Across Time. Paranormal, brackets, ghost romance. It's kind of very specific. Paranormal ghost romance. I like that. It's from Annie. And this is Annie's blurb. Historian Cece Gowdy adores her job in a Welsh castle. Until she, an unbeliever, is ordered to lead... Ghost walks, that's the worst of her worries until she falls for Patrick Mahoney. I don't know how to say that. I can do a pronunciation guide here. I'm gonna say Patrick Mahoney, but you know what? I know that someone in the Genius Room will be able to tell me within seconds. Patrick Mahoney, I'm gonna say, a handsome ghost who can't leave the place he was murdered in 1761. Cece's body, won't survive, loving Patrick. Believing him will destroy her soul. Patrick won't watch Cece die, but can't bear a hellish half-life without her. Will an ancient riddle save their love and their lives? Mm. Annie is a cultural historian who lives to find the secret stories of old things, from bustles to bobbin winders. I love that bustles and bobbin yeah, winders I write under the name Annie R. McEwen. I live half the year in the US, half in Wales where I spend hundreds of hours in a 13th century castle if my house catches fire I run out the door with my three most valuable possessions, my cat, you've got your priorities right, uh, my computer files of novels in various stages of completion and my collection of Victorian and Edwardian magazines uh, it'll be an armful I'll <laughs> pet with a cat But with those, I can be happy anywhere, and we can be more than happy with this wonderful reading from Bev.
7: Bound Across Time by Annie R. McEwan, read by Bev. Is it haunted? Four and a half months of candlelight castle walks, 57 versions of that question. This one came from a middle-aged woman in a plaid temoshanta. The dog in her handbag had the same cap, only much tinier, held by an elastic strap to its head at a jaunty angle. Cecy made herself smile at them both as she answered, "'Not that I'm aware of.' She shouldn't have let the woman bring the dog, but what could she say? She liked dogs. She liked people who liked dogs. And the group was so small tonight, only nine walkers.' What was one Yorkie, more or less? She picked up the pace. With luck, she could get them out the door before there were any more ghost questions. One more of those, and she'd start barking like purse pooch. Saturday night. Technically Sunday morning, since it was just after midnight. Her group wobbled toward the exit. Of course they wobbled. Most of them viewed the walk as the capstone of a pub crawl. C silently cursed the anchor and bell a few dozen yards outside the gates. How much worse would the boozing be once her boss got what she wanted and a ghost walks banner went up on the gates? She didn't want to think about that. Dang, it was sticky tonight. Living her whole life in Savannah should have made her immune to humidity. But there was something about north coastal Wales in summer, the briny mist rolling from the Irish Sea. Cece's wool, 18th century bodice stuck to her, and the boning of her stays was poking into her underarms. The drawstring that held up her top skirt sagged, so she kept tripping over the hem. Her makeup was sliding off her face. Why did they always think there were ghosts? St. Rudian's castle wasn't famous for bloody battles, witch burnings, or even family arguments that ended with his lordship bashing Lady Frippery's skull in with a candle lantern. No history of unquiet graves, strolling spirits, dead earls on the ramparts. If anyone bothered to look at a map, they'd see the castle was more than a thousand miles from Transylvania. Yet every Saturday night, questions about the paranormal wrenched her tour from history to histrionics. Uh Uh-oh, her people were dawdling again. Almost at the exit now, please stay together. Don't want to lock anyone in for the night. Cece's scalp itched, and she worked a finger under her ruffled linen cap to scratch it. She'd already made a big concession to entertainment by wearing a costume for her tours. How much more could she do? A lot, according to her boss. It had been a frustrating 12 hours since the programme's director, Eunice Tattersall, downgraded her day from great to gothic. Your tours are informative, Miss Gowdy the PD began. But they don't seem to be attracting visitors the way I'd hoped. It's only been a few months, Cece said. They'll build. Let's think about how we can build them now. Look at it from my perspective. Everything at the castle has to contribute to its upkeep, which is huge. You're American. You should be able to understand that. Because Cece was a rampaging capitalist, Ghost walks are immensely popular and I think it's time we had one here at St. Ridian's. Besides, I know you want to secure long-term residency in the UK. A cultural worker visa can do that, so look at this as your only real path to staying on here. Was that a bribe or a threat? This assignment should not be too difficult for you, Miss Gowdy, since people get advanced degrees in history to use Ouija boards. With such a long past, st Ridians must have plenty of ghosts find them
0: so find the ghosts so it's uh, like a chercher le huh get it let's see what the genius we're up to um so like the title says johnny uh, good blurb nice blurb hannah and james um Great blurb says' that me needs a better title. Yeah, I guess it does actually, but the title kind of it says it says it for me. Um, okay, I can other Patrick. Point of view line of the blurb, but otherwise I'm excited. Uh, I think one or two people felt there's a lot packed into that blurb actually. Love the opening, says Mal. Charming opening, says Matt. Vagabond Apologies, I can't do accents on a writer. Absolute nonsense. I, I enjoyed that enormously, and I love the accent. So yeah, come on. Um, History to histrionics. Great line. Uh, Pamela, Joe, my caperule great. I could I could settle down and read this on the beach. I think actually. Um, and Tattersall's has got Stacey. She likes that. I love this, says Lex. A little bit quiet today, Lex. Are you okay? Uh, Fantastic. Compact details giving a sense of the character and situation. Bravo! And Matt again is saying, Bev, great reading. And it totally is. Peter O'Toole, High Spirits. Yes, wasn't that great? Great film. Totally enjoyed that. Emma.
1: I loved, 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 loved this. I would want to read (laughs) on. I really, really loved it. I loved the humour. Um, I, I really like the humour they've been in both the kind of slightly sarcastic voice of the of the protagonist and also just the woman with the dog and the matching hat. I just think that humour was there from the beginning. Um, I love the way. Details like where she was from, where the castle was, all of that was slipped in, I think, effort, effortlessly. Mm. There was, you know, there was no mm. big exposition,
3: mm. oh, but great. we got
1: a lot. Um, and again, I, I think I can't remember who picked up from history to histrionics. I picked that up, I loved it. And from Great to Gothic as well. I thought it was some lovely little um, turns of phrase. Yeah. Um I didn't like the title particularly, um, and that's because I don't think it did the tone of the book justice. I thought it was quite a you know a kind of a bog standard title and I think didn't convey any of the kind of humor or or feeling of the protagonist so I, I if it was me I'd write to relook really look at the title but the book itself the craft all of it I absolutely loved even the blurb I really like the blurb as well it hooked me in hmm. and I'm particularly interested with the whole paranormal thing i Essex Book Festivals on at the moment, and I've been going to listen to uh, quite a few writers speaking, and, and several of the crime writers have been talking about, you know, in the wake of Sarah Pinsborough and Behind Her Eyes, and the success of that. That you know that people are sort of t- dipping their toe in the kind of
0: yeah
1: um, more supernatural elements and crossing over that into other genres. Yes. So um, that would be quite interesting to see how popular that might start to become in romance. But I couldn't agree. I Definitely read this. I loved it, I loved it,
0: I loved it. Yeah, it's got a good vibe to me as well. I completely agree. But we don't know what Kate thinks.
3: Um, well, having just written the paranormal romance myself, I'm very oh, well see. For them. I, think, uh, I think mixing mixing the paranormal with romantic theme is uh it's got a lot lot of fun all um, obviously could be quite macabre depending on which way you go with it and funnily enough the one I've written is, is like this is, is, is humorous, it's got humor going on so I, I'm well disposed towards it I really enjoyed it too I was a little bit more fussy about Craft, which is possibly a bit unfair of me. I felt that, um, I, you know, I agreed all that great of phrase. I love the little details that I like the humour coming through. That was all good. I think I would just say that um, I would just cut down the whinge about the ghost because I felt that that went on for a bit too long. Mm. Um, the point was mm. made and then it was laboured a bit. So I think we could cut that a bit. And I would also cut shorter, I mean, not cut it out, but cut shorter the discussion with Miss Tattersall as well. And mm. perhaps even tell that a bit more rather than show that one. I know we always say show, don't tell. But actually, sometimes, yeah. um, just summarizing something, with, particularly with that kind of nicely sarcastic yeah. observational voice that the protagonist has, yeah. would work fine, because it pulled me a little bit out. Because um, I really wanted to get on that ghost tour and I wanted her to hurry up and meet her her ghostly paramour and get into that. So, A drunken yeah, ghost that's tour. great idea. For yeah,
0: that sounds like <laughs> yes. fun, doesn't it? High yes. spirits work. <laughs> yeah, great. So uh, you've, you've given some yeah. jolly good marks. Emma's given brilliant marks, actually. So I, yeah. can't wait, I can't wait to see what we got got 76. This is a high scoring show, guys. 76. We can go for many shows without breaching the 70s, but today we've got two submissions so far that have, have have breached that kind of magical number actually. Let's see if we can get another one. Yes, and here we are. Submission number 4 comes from Shelley. Shelley Howell. Hello. Hi, Shelley. Good to have you along. Thank you for submitting today. Um, you will get feedback. Don't worry. You will. You're getting it right now, actually. Tiny little blurb there. It's chiclet. It's a romantic comedy. And it's called Banking on the Future. And I can read that blurb without taking breath. An English Earl on his deathbed devises a way to leave his fortune to himself in his next life. There we go. Very, very simple. But... For a blurb, I need a bit more, to be honest. That's kind of a... uh, It's the elevator pitch, right, isn't it? So shall we? Having said elevator pitch, of course, uh, that's exactly what you, you've you done, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. So, I've had a, a diverse career as a writer and entrepreneur. I started as an advertising copywriter, moved on to video writing and production, and worked as a screenwriter in Los Angeles. There you go. You've just given us that pitch. Banking on the future is the novelization of a screenplay that was optioned several times but never produced. And I mean, that is the uh, story of many screenwriters' lives, actually. But you can still make decent money out of options. But it's nice to get produced sometimes, isn't it? And What's going to be even nicer, I know, is this reading from Mel.
5: Banking on the Future by Shelley Howell. Read by Mel. Chapter 1. Baronsgate Manor, 1975. The wind blows violently and rain pounds the massive Tudor mansion, making it difficult to appreciate the lavish gardens and rolling green hills that surround the elegant old home. Tall, dark trees sway like black demons behind imposing front gates. The stone facade, Gothic ironwork, and marble fountain in the center of the circle drive distinguish the mansion as old England. It's the perfect scene for a classic Gothic novel. The gates open, as if by magic, and a dented black cab pulls up the long drive towards the house. Tina Romanoff peeks out of the window at the pounding rain. At 58, she's way too old for her heavy makeup and overbleached hair. She opens the door and steps out, wrestling with her umbrella and quickly losing the battle as it flips inside out and blows out of her hand. Buggers, she mutters. Tina is thin and surprisingly sexy from behind as she wiggles toward the front door on platform shoes, holding down her short skirt. She presses up to the massive carved doors, trying to evade the rain. Tina's getting wetter and wetter, her hair now matted to her head. A tall, balding figure soon appears. Quigley opens the door with a permanent smirk glued to his face. Yes? Blimey, you know why I'm here, she blasts. Her cockney accent as out of place as she is. Carmichael sent for me. Could you open the door a little slower, me good man? I look like I've been swimming in the fountain. Now, Miss Romanoff, we asked you not to keep doing that, he teases, pleased with his own joke. Quigley is the stereotype of an English butler, formal, subdued, but also arrogant. He's at once guard dog, public relations specialist, historian, and nanny to the adults who live at Barrensgate. Tina slides into the entry, a puddle forming. Quigley just stares at her. "'A towel, if you please. she manages. Quigley goes to find one. Tina peers around the massive, vaulted entry at the sweeping old staircase. It's very dark, as though no one was expected. A gigantic flag with the family coat of arms hangs above her and is only visible when lightning flickers from outside. With each flash, a giant dragon comes alive on the flag. Dark paneled walls with intricate moldings outline the space. At the top of the stairs, an open hallway is visible, and a beam of light escapes from a single door. She peels off her sweater and shakes it. Then she scurries over to a large mirror above an intricately carved console table. She pulls out a tissue and dabs her eyes, working to fix her failing mascara. Quigley returns with a towel, then turns to walk up the massive stairs, indicating that she should follow. She doesn't. Tina looks at herself in the mirror for a long moment. She's had a tough life. She grew up in a sad part of London with an alcoholic father and a mother who disappeared for months on end. She spent a lot of time alone. Madame Dubinay, an exotic woman on the first floor of their walk-up, had frequent visitors, and 10-year-old Tina would watch them come and go from the stair landing, wondering what was happening in her flat. People frequently walked in looking defeated and troubled and walked out filled with enthusiasm and joy. One day, as a wealthy woman danced out of Madame Dubonnet's apartment, Tina's curiosity overcame her. She tiptoed down the dusty stairs and peeked in. She found Madame sitting behind a round table, shuffling a deck of cards. The tablecloth was dark red velvet with matted areas, and Madame Dubonnet was round and puffy with matted skin. She looked up and saw Tina's tiny face peering in. "'Come in, me little crumpet,' Madame waved. She gave her a warm smile." Tina slid her foot into the doorway, followed by her body. Madame Dubonnet stopped shuffling and fanned out the deck. Pick a card, she offered.
0: I wonder what well, that's going to say. Let's see what the genius name was saying straight away. Here we go. Lots and lots of comments here, Shelley. Great to have you along, by the way. It's uh, always so nice to have our authors live with us. So, where do we start? You've got got an eruption of uh, genius matter material in the genius room. Uh, Hannah likes the descriptive opening, and it it was descriptive, and yep, if it works, it works, and it certainly works for Hannah. Um, And you've got a lot of comments about it. it feels like a script. And I'm just wondering whether it really does feel like a script a genius room or it's because maybe you said that in the uh, accompanying note this, that this is the novelization of a screenplay. I probably wouldn't say that, actually. I don't think I'd say that. I think it kind of you know, puts people in a certain uh, frame of mind. Um, so, intriguing blurb, if short, and I like the title of the blurb. Um, Johnny likes the title, thinks it's got mileage. Um, Screen direction says Martin. Martin also says something else. Vivid setting, and he kind of—I think for me—he sort of gets hits a nail on the head here with the further comment further down. Um, and do by the way, even though you join us live, just just freeze. You know, I look at the recording, just go through everything everyone says because it's so important. Martin says what's missing is the interiority. And I think that's incredibly perceptive. That's kind of... I was feeling that, but I actually didn't manage to put that into words, but Martin has. Um, and Stacey, I don't mind some of the description, because it sets the mood. But yeah, too much gives me script vibes. And Pamela... Um, yes, Pamela's got a comment there. Stacey does remind me of a line I read. Her naked breasts were larger than he had imagined. I don't know why that's going, but maybe we don't want to follow that straight away, but I do want to follow what Emma thinks.
1: Oh, I'm still laughing at that. That made me laugh. Mm. Um, so, I love the title, Banking on the Future. I think, I, you know, I really like that, with the, with the punage in there. And the blurb, though, although it was, you know, it was to the point, um, I couldn't see where any romance. So if, she's, if it's aimed as a romance novel, we need to know what the romance is going to be in the blurb. So I think that mm. would be my first thing. Um... Obviously, this person can write. You know, the, you know, the the lines of you know they flow. But for me, there were various things that I I wasn't keen on. I wasn't keen on some of the physical description of her, particularly the surprisingly sexy from behind. That I've yeah, a little bit jarring. Yeah, the and the,
0: like, the room did too. Actually, yeah, it, it, yeah, it, it's kind of out of place, isn't it?
1: It is. It really is. And also, I thought the dialogue was a little bit. Dick Van Dyke in places. (laughs) So, again, that didn't really flow for me. Um, And and I think it was, I think, to be honest, that first bit, the the description's lovely. It's very gothic at the beginning, which was surprising with the setting being 1975. I I found that quite interesting. Mm. And the gothic description was lovely. But um, the present tense, writing in the present tense, I think is always quite difficult. And that didn't quite come off for me. And I felt like there was quite a lot of exposition quite a lot of tell, quite a lot of sort of big chunks of her telling the narrator telling the, us this about um, this character rather than, and I think, did you say it was Martin that said about the, the sort of yeah, internal it did. and yeah. I agree, really, I think some of that yeah. would have really helped, really yeah. helped with that as well
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's, that's sort of got, uh, got the nail on the head from uh, my point of view um, Kate
3: Yeah, I agree with all of that. Um, I wasn't so grabbed by the title, but that, of course, course I think that's just personal taste. And yes, the blurb, I just wrote, not a blurb. (laughs) Um, Yeah, to me, it it read like a screenplay. um, And I think Martin was bang on. We we didn't get a sense of, we didn't get inside the characters. It felt quite distancing. I think that was the problem. it, It was very, it reminded me actually of... Um, I've recently been teaching to um English literature students a streetcar named Desire, oh, yeah. and that kind of um, description and the way that you actually get a sense of the of the the descriptors for want of a better voice, mm. that word um, their view of someone or something coming through. So this whole business of she's surprisingly sexy from behind. It was like, it was like, you know, in Streetcar the Name's are, you get Tennessee Williams who kind of makes these opinionated descriptions.
0: Yes. Uh, not a bad thing to be compared
3: to Tennessee Williams, that's But it's there that kind of thing. So it felt like a screenplay very much, but it was quite distancing, and I think it, it, yeah. if you want something to be women's commercial fiction, you, you really do want to be pulling people into it. Um, the other thing I felt, actually, was The sudden appearance of the the whole business of Madame Dubonnet and the cards Hmm. that really pulled us out of the moment of arriving at this Gothic mansion and this kind of Rebecca-ish opening. Um, And I felt that that was in the wrong place. I actually thought, do you know what? This might work better as a prologue. (laughs) I know you're not a prologue, but the whole business of 10 year old her and this strange woman and the cards and all that and then we flip forward that actually might have worked in that in that respect so that was the other thing and also yes be careful writing an accent i mean i absolutely love accents but trying to reproduce them um in the dialogue with the way you write them can as emma pointed out you know doesn't always work so it's often better to just perhaps mention the accent maybe throw in a few key words that go with that accent but as soon as you start dropping the h's and all that stuff it it just feels a little bit a little bit of force i think you kind of need to let the reader do a little bit of work on that just imagine how they might hear that
0: that's a very good point actually um Um, emma um,
3: some good good ideas there but needed a bit more got a little bit of tweaking and a bit more emotion
0: yeah do you do accents to irma i mean writing no, not I I mean, like... not in live you can do a live accent. yeah
1: no i agree with kate i think it's very very difficult i mean if you're irving welsh go for it but um mm. yeah for, for us lesser mortals i think it is very 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 difficult and i mean i've often come unstuck because when the audiobooks produce they start oh, speaking yeah. accents i had no clue about but um no i don't but to be honest most of my characters come from essex so i like that nice and easy
0: yeah, well, of course. Uh, some some people would say there is such a thing as an Essex accent, but we're we not going. Yeah, all right. We're not against really start- yeah, right. <laughs> that. What's normative and what's non-normative? I um I th- I think there's there's a general point emerging here too, actually, Shelley. About uh I my my impression was I thought I thought that w- there was a, a too strong authorial voice emerging here, and uh, it felt a bit crowded to me. It felt like, the, the, like there were too many people involved in this, and you know, there's a bit too much commentary coming on, which is of course what. Um, What Kate said, but yeah, being compared to Tennessee Williams, not bad, not bad, is it really? Let's see what the numbers look like. You got a 56. 56. Now, um, it's getting to that exciting time because our last submission is coming up. Before then, let's look at the numbers. High scoring show, guys! High scoring show. We've got Annie, who's got 76, and we've got Eileen, who I thought actually was going to win with 72. And we have one more, The Happiness Equation, Women's Fiction by Catherine, and that's the next one. And who knows what that's going to score. And it's Catherine. Good heavens above. I think all our authors are with us today, which is just brilliant. I love that. Remember, you can, um, you know, ask questions of our distinguished guests and make comments on the show too, if you want. And please do remember to press the like button and to subscribe to our channel, because that's the only way that people find out about us. So here we go. The Happiness Equation, women's fiction by Catherine. This is Catherine's blurb. Erica, widowed and on the wrong side of 40, gave up a city career for her kids. Now a self-employed accountant in a sleepy town in northeast England, Erica discovers her teenage daughter plans suicide. A ski trip was part of her plan to reignite her daughter's love of life, but her romantic interlude with a movie star has Erica wondering if she's stuck in a case of do as I say, not do as I do. And whether sacrificing her own needs is doing more harm than good in her quest to save her daughter. I wonder who that movie story is. In north of England, there's got to be Johnny Depp, isn't he? He's up there, having his expensive £50,000 curries. God, heavens above. Stay away from him. <laughs> That's my feeling, actually. Stay well clear of Johnny, even if he lures you to the local curry house. Nah, it's not worth it. Oh. Uh, let me tell you about uh, Catherine. I live in uh, north-east England with my husband, two kids, and two very spoiled cats. Five years ago, I left a 20-year career in HR to set up my small chain of escape rooms with my hobby. That's fascinating. I bet there's some. you could set a book or two in an escape room, couldn't you? Really, I think. And I've part-written many books in the last 20 years, I'm 45, uh, but would get so hung up, hung up on perfection hmm, that I would edit and rewrite as I went. Yes, I know, it's such a problem. Leaving me with a library worth of beautifully written openings to unfinished stories. Oh, yes. Last year, Inspiration hit. I now wrote The Happiness Equation in three months, loving every minute. Thru, uh, through the editing process, I've been improving my writing and have learned so much. That's the only way you learn by doing it. I have no writing qualifications, awards to speak of, but this story was in part born out of my own experience of the truly frightening world of teenage girls i believe is frightening Uh, and this reading is from someone who can indeed deliver quite a frightening reading it's the uh, capo di tutti capo of our narrators yes she leads the whole team here it's emily
6: Equation by Catherine, read by Emily, Chapter One. The last flight Erica had taken was five years ago, a race to get home, knowing only that there had been a terrible car accident and her husband was in the hospital. The anxiety of that hour, spent on the wrong side of the clouds, praying Mark would be okay and for Zoe to be safe, had never left her. Erica hadn't thought she'd ever be able to board another plane. Yet here she was, readying herself for a trip she hoped would focus on the furtherance of life, rather than its end. A lifetime ago, small talk had driven Erica to distraction, but she was different now, changed. At this moment, distraction was necessary to keep her sane. So, as the taxi driver chatted by the front door, she listened intently. Simple inconsequentialities about December's milder-than-usual weather. The topic. Safe. Easy and nowhere near absorbing enough. Nerves had plagued her since booking the trip, but with it now in touching distance, there was no backing out. Another wave of nausea flowed through Erica as her eyes rested on the suitcases. From their precarious stance on the doorstep, they appeared impatient for the journey ahead. The breakfast-turning somersaults in her stomach was just one more reminder that she was anything but eager, and a pang of jealousy rose, hardening her glare. ''Come on, Zoe!'' she called through the open doorway, her voice loud enough to reach upstairs. As always, Erica hid any sign of impatience or frustration from her tone. No reply, no change there. ''I'll get these in the car then?'' the driver asked, gesturing to the offending suitcases. ''Please, that'll be great.'' As the short, stocky man carried the first case to the car, Erica wondered if they were too heavy for him. ''Maybe I should have done it myself.'' He shuffled and sidestepped as he negotiated his way around the rosebush encroaching the footpath and Erica thought she heard a soft huff from him. It was a reminder of one more thing Erica had let slip in recent weeks. Sorry about the garden, Erica called after him. Should I grab the secateurs? I could just tidy the edges. She was being ridiculous. The bush would wait until her return. She took a deep breath, holding it until her lungs burned as they waited for the next influx of oxygen. She straightened. As the young couple from next door reversed down the driveway, they looked with interest at the early morning happenings outside of Erica's home. Erica offered a friendly wave to them, and anyone else watching, nothing was amiss with the scene, and she was certain the fist, clenched by her side, went unnoticed. There were reasons she dreaded both the flight and destination, but more anxiety-inducing than either was the worry that the trip might not provide the outcome she so desperately needed. Erica glanced wistfully at the stairs as she passed, Imagining last year's Zoe bounding down them with a gleam in her eyes, forgetting things, dropping things, laughing. I miss that laugh. Erica surveyed the gleaming worktops as she crossed the kitchen to check she had locked the back door. She'd got up two hours early to clean the house that morning. Mark would have laughed. Moisture pooled behind her eyes at the memory of her late husband. Late. She hated that expression. Mark had never been late, not for anything, and now it would forever define him. She ignored the darkness of her inner voice and instead checked she had switched off the plugs, another of her compulsions. She shook her head again, this time trying to dispel the echo of Mark's playful voice as he promised the house wouldn't burn to the ground in their absence. What do you think, Mum? Zoe stood in the hall, a hand resting on her hip. The pleated skirt not short enough to warrant Erica raising an eyebrow, thick tights for the cold and a warm but fashionable jumper. And Erica nodded in approval at the curated outfit. Were all girls her age this sensible nowadays? Erica hadn't been. Endless disagreements about clothes inappropriate for the weather or for the skin they revealed. Certain teenage girls hadn't evolved that significantly in the last few decades. Erica knew it was another sign of the facade Zoe had created.
0: Fantastic reading. Thank you so much, Emily. Let's go straight to Emma, I think, for her first reactions.
1: Okay, I really like this. Can I can I start by giving the author just a word of encouragement because your description of yourself was me aged forty, having written lots of up to chapter threes, (laughs) never doing it, finally getting around to age forty, doing my Jericho Writers course with Martin R. from the genius room. Um and so keep going. It's my big, big advice, first of all.
0: Yeah, really Um, important.
1: Yeah, really important. And um, the Happiness Equation. I really, really liked it. The blurb I wasn't so keen on. I thought you gave too much away. I think to drop the suicide bomb in the middle kind of kind of it shook me. We can maybe mm. allude to the fact her daughter's struggling without that at yeah, that I stage agree. because that might be one of your big twists. You don't want to give that away. Um, and um, so yeah, I think maybe that needs a bit of reworking. But I like the last part of the blurb. I think quite a lot of mothers would would kind of gel with that but one caveat I would say to you I write about mothers all the time um, and one thing that my editor says to me is "For readers are actually quite tough on mothers and we are held to higher account than any other type of character yes. so just be a little bit careful, particularly for the American market interestingly um, you just need to be a little bit careful in your wording, so I, I like the sense of it but, but look at the wording of that last bit mm-hmm. so that she doesn't come across as uncaring in any way um, yeah. You know, I, I totally love it. And I, and I think the point is a great one. Um, you know, we do need to put on our own, own life jacket first sometimes before looking after our children. But you just have to be careful on the wording for yeah. the marketing. So, mm. back to the writing very quickly. And I'm talking too much. I do apologize. No, you're not. Um,
0: no, we want more. Um,
1: okay. okay, okay. Well, that's what I like to hear. So... I love the opening. I thought the opening paragraph was brilliant because it gave us the past and the present in one neat package. Um, we know that she's had had something bad happen to her, and we know that she's worried about where she's going. So you've got backstory and and the um, you know the propelling issue at the thing. I liked that. I thought your characterization was lovely. I got a real sense of her and her worries trust yourself on your characterization. so I think you said something about and this was another of her compulsions you didn't need to put that because we we got that from what you'd written we knew that she was compulsive we knew that she was anxious you did that beautifully so don't dampen it by by then telling us the same thing because you'd already done it so um no I really liked it and I and I would definitely read on I really enjoyed it I thought it was an interesting um premise
0: Fantastic! That's a mini masterclass there, actually. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Emma. I don't know what you can add, Kate, but there might be something.
3: Not much to add at all, actually. I um, agree with all of that. Um, I thought the characterization, in particular, the protagonist, was really strong. I was getting a really good sense of her. Um, same as Emma, I wrote Suicide Eek. Triggering, not sure I'd want that in the blurb. I'd actually find bit off putting. Um, you could maybe, maybe depression or something like that, hmm. you know, to tone it down. Um, yeah, good, good title. Reminded me of The Love Hypothesis, which is a, a big book at the minute. They've so got to have this equation and the love yeah. hypothesis, you can see them side by side on the shelf. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I have very little to add to that, really. I, I, it felt very sure footed to me. I, I felt that the premise was strong and like emma i would i would read on too and i i had that moment of feeling kind of nervous and a bit oh god where's this going to go that sort of again the sort of slight rise in adrenaline where's this also going to take me which i get when i read emma's books as well she's good at that too because you're like oh what's going to happen now and that's good because you're getting an actual emotional response a a physical emotional response and then you really need to find that so it's the best way. It gives you the feel, So you've got to read on. And uh,
0: that did that. Well, it's high praise indeed, I think. I think hopefully Catherine is, is pleased with that. Um, but now comes the moment of truth, of course. What have you got there? you got a 70, Catherine which, under normal circumstances, and I have no idea what normal is anymore, um, that would probably win you the show. But it's not going to win you the show today, because we've had some extremely good submissions in today. And I, by my calculations... Let's look at the Yeah, I would say that Annie is looking very good. In fact... Six. Congratulations Annie That's an impressive score Very impressive I prophesy very good things for you You may well be on monthly one of your Certainly our show one, well deserved one Everyone's done so well today actually challenging show many ways technically it's not been the easiest thing to, to do today for various reasons I want to say thank you so much of course I always say thank you or try to say thank you to Kate and Rachel our guest producers. In this case I'm going to say two thank yous to Kate because she stepped in at the very last moment to um, fill some sandy shoes and uh, without which the show simply wouldn't have been possible so thank you again Kate twice for all the wonderful things you do behind the scenes to Emily of course, our submissions manager and I dare I say house Mother to our impossibly talented team of narrators and of course all the denizens of the genius room for simply being their fabulous selves and of course our today's special guest was emma our triple time number one bestseller thank you authors today for submitting very high standards and of course right at the center of it all that will be you and please join us live next week (laughs)
6: you ready, 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 ready.